0: expecting me to be bringing some tomfoolery or perhaps a, a silly voice to the beginning of this episode, but Riley, I am having none of it. It's time this show gets serious. Wait a minute, Dan, you're not going to make any reference to wanting a jetpack? This statement is brought to you by Gilboa Fruits and Foods, bringing serious content to the internet
1: since 1972. Gilboa Foods and fruits and foods. You know, I'm gonna have to someday, just when I have some time, go into the studio where I am right now, and I'm actually gonna work up for you um, a proper Gilboa fruit ad with, you know, music. Our promise to our listeners is we need to
0: get merchandise out. And we have been talking about this good listener, getting merchandise out to you. Uh, The very first thing has to be a Gilboa. It has to be a brown (laughs) t-shirt.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I love I love the idea of it being brown. Yeah, and a logo that um, that looks like it hasn't been updated since like 1977. Yeah, ex- like exactly. they just went with it.
0: Do you remember in the 70s and 80s? I don't know where you were in North America at that time. I moved here in 77. Okay. So you would remember the Rochester, New York feed that we would get here in the nation's capital of Canada. Oh, fuck
1: yeah. That was the most important TV source because that's where you watched Saturday Night Live yeah. and all the, all the really cool shows
0: were, yeah. yeah and then absolutely. they had like the iconic Rochester, New York commercials like uh, Janie grocer Janie Grocer Ham Hawks 499 That's right House of Guitars The House of Guitars yeah, yeah. there was always things for Kodak cuz the big yeah. Kodak camera factory was there anyway Janie Grocer is kind of
1: I think deep down in yeah. my subconscious the inspiration for Gilboa Fruit Yeah and he was extremely southern sounding for someone to live. remember cuz he'd be yes. like Ham Hawk 499
0: got, and but he had a monotone too Yeah he would, sausages 3 dollars a pound ham meat $2.50 a pound. Uh, ham hocks,
1: uh, $3, $3.25 a pound. Like it was, yeah. It was it, just... And it's the only time I've ever heard anyone advertise ham hocks. I don't think I've ever eaten a ham hock. I don't even know what a ham is. Ho- I have once. What is it? Is it a bone? It's the, it's the, the, like the knuckle or the, the,
0: the hoof or the knuckle of a, of a, of a pig. And you suck the, the, the meat out of it.
1: You suck the meat like a crab leg on a larger scale. No, on a much lesser scale. There's less meat. I think you're eating marrow and stuff too. I got to tell you something cool. So I had a, when I was young, I had a very extreme allergy to shellfish and I still have never eaten shellfish. I probably have though, because I eat fish sauce and stuff, but I have had an allergy test and they have told me, they've told me that the allergy is gone. Like it's, which often happens when you hit middle age. And so I'm terrified to eat it. I'm just terrified because i've had anaphylactic responses to it in the oh past. wow
0: so this is like the real
1: deal oh the real deal absolutely mm-hmm. i've went to the hospital more than once for this so i'm going to the allergy center at the hospital to eat shrimp oh yeah they they it's very common that people have psychological blockages or fears so they will allow you to try new things under supervision oh so you don't have to be afraid because they're right there with the epipens and the you know if you need to be intubated or whatever yeah Well,
0: it's interesting that you bring up being afraid, Riley, because tonight's episode is probably going to make you feel very, very afraid. This is, again, one, I keep saying this, I feel like I say this a lot, but this is like a dark, scary story. And what makes it scarier is that there are so many witnesses, credible witnesses, who saw the events that i'm going to describe mm-hmm. you know and there's
1: written documentation of this now don't forget our new opening thing what's the new opening thing hey riley want to hear something weird and then you oh
0: okay um hey riley yeah dan um how are you doing i'm good i look good so i'm good great okay uh, oh um, there was something else i was supposed to say the weather <laughs> oh boy is it warm outside. <laughs> It actually is. It's brutal here right now. It is actually. It's 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 40 degrees
1: Celsius. Is it seriously? It's 102, I think it translates to. I went went outside and my hands puffed up like Mickey Mouse gloves, (laughs) like within five minutes. I had big, puffy hands. Oh, look at you. I'd like to see some drawings of that.
0: All right. So I'm going to start and and I want to take a moment here. Let's wash ourselves of the silliness. Okay. No tomfoolery now. Things are about to get real. Okay. All right. Let's start with a quote, Riley. You know how I like doing that. You like quotes. Yeah. I cast thee out, thou unclean spirit, along with the least encroachment of the wicked enemy and every phantom and diabolical legion. That, of course, is from the Roman ritual of the Catholic Church, its rite of exorcism, And the words my mother would utter to me every morning as she got me out of bed. (laughs) I don't blame her. Now, the reason why I recited that, and you've seen this in films, and they often are chanting it in Latin. I had the Latin, but I wasn't going to butcher it. I like
1: the way you say Latin. You say Latin.
0: Latin. Latin. Yeah, Latin. You know, I like to go and study down at the library, uh, the Latin, uh... And not not the Disney character, uh, no, or the one from the actual source material, Arabian Nights. <laughs> I mean the language Aladdin. No, this is um, this is a biggie. And you know what's interesting is I didn't realize how big this story was until actually diving down into it. And I had no idea that the story I was about to tell you has become maybe one of the most iconic uh, forces in the horror genre whether it's literature or film how exciting i'm so intrigued so this is the tale of the saint louis exorcism or otherwise known the exorcism of roland doe are you familiar with this story never heard of it no i i disagree i think you have you just don't know it like me i didn't realize i knew this one pretty good okay so, this story begins in the late 1940s in suburban Washington, D.C., with allegedly a family named Hunkeller. The incident that inspired both the 1971 novel and the 1973 film The Exorcist took place in 1949 and centered around a 14 year old boy who has never been formally identified.
1: Oh, wow. So this is the true story of the exorcist. So this is the source material. This is the foundation for all of that. Wow. All of it. Take us there, baby. Take us there. So he is believed to be named Ronald
0: and was later referred to as Roland or Robbie Doe, among other names, in uh, the written records of this incident. And I bring up both names because depending on whose written account, there's a lot of diary entries from from the people, different people that were involved. They'll either use Roland or they'll use Robbie. Neither is the actual name. They're pseudonyms. When Roland's Aunt Tilly, a favorite aunt to him, died, he apparently became quite despondent. Interested in spiritualism and the occult, some reports claim Aunt Tilly introduced Robbie to the Ouija board. Oh. Following Aunt Tilly's death, in his grief, the teen allegedly tried to contact her spirit using the Ouija board. It was from this moment on that strange things began to happen in Robbie's house. Oh boy, the Ouija board. It's always the Ouija
1: board, man. Well,
0: and here's, have you ever
1: had an experience with it? When I was a teenager, they'd haul it out at parties and everyone would claim that there had been a paranormal incident, but I've never had what what I would consider a genuine experience. So
0: I, I mean, I've only had a couple. I, I, when I was young, probably 13 years old, a friend had it. And apparently we uh, summoned a spirit named Hekka and it freaked us out and we threw the board away. <laughs> it started to say, I don't quite remember the conversation. It just seemed weird. And I trusted the guys that I was with enough to feel like no one was doing it intentionally. Okay. okay. I still think there's a science behind it. I don't necessarily
1: think you're actually communing with spirits, but who knows? It's been tied to a lot of bad paranormal events. So I remain open to the Ouija board. And the, and the second incident, actually, and, and I can
0: empathize with with Roland Robbie, uh, my, when I was 14, my best friend died. You know the story. Again. I know that story. It's an awful story. I remember trying with, with a group of, you know, the close friends. We tried to, to commune with him. Oh. And, of course, nothing happened. And, you know, no one was going to screw around with that. And it stayed still.
1: And, that's actually uh, that's actually a really heartbreaking little anecdote you just um, you just shared. Yeah, it was it was a very sad, difficult time. So back to our story. By the way, just to mention, and that is exactly how the demon comes into um, into play in The Exorcist is through careless use of the Ouija board. That's right,
0: bloody. I mean, it was directly inspired, and many of the elements in the movie, not all, many of the elements in the movie. He's just telling you what happened according to the sources. Amazing. It all supposedly began at the boy's home in January of 1949. In what exorcists call the infestation phase, the child's grandmother, who lived in a room above her grandson's bedroom, heard sounds like marching feet. On January 15th, Robbie and the rest of the family members heard what sounded like water dripping in their home. Despite checking the whole house, the family found no leak. Shortly thereafter, the family began to hear other sounds, scratching and scraping like claws on wood. Brushing the noises off as mice or squirrels, the family called in pest control. Despite removing part of the home's floor and a piece of a wall, the exterminators found no pests. And then new noises began to bedevil the household, growing more intense in Robbie's room. The family heard squeaking shoes and then again, more footsteps during one episode the boy and his grandmother saw a picture of jesus hanging on a wall which began to shake so violently that it eventually fell off of its hook very common Mm -hmm. during another uh, episode robbie's mattress began shaking and the bed's covers flew out from beneath the mattress at school the boy's desk began sliding into aisles banging into the desks of other students leading him to getting into trouble and he would claim i didn't do anything like and it was fast and violent apparently when the desk would be moved okay this
1: is cool so this is rare the manifestation traveled with him the manifestation traveled with him.
0: Coat hangers, books, and fruit flew across rooms to land near the boy. This happened quite frequently. In one extremely unsettling incident, Robbie, his mother and grandmother, felt a claw-like sensation running along the underside of his mattress.
1: Can you imagine that? I know. Can you imagine? I'm, oh, I, but I'm still laughing about how specific your description was. You said clothing, something else, and fruit. <laughs> If you believe it, the demons
0: like to throw fruit.
1: <laughs> They're like a um, an angry 16th century audience. Well, if you go back to the,
0: was it Lord Paimon uh, episode? King. He was a king, king. King Paimon. There are tiers of demons. I know. You know more about this because you've got tattoos. No. Oh, shut up. As if. What was I saying? Yeah. So they think that there's a possibility that he, he didn't just have one entity Inhabiting him, but maybe several, and perhaps some biggies as well. So, during an early visit from a local priest, Robbie began to speak in Latin, and what some believed to be ancient Aramaic languages the boy had never studied. Eventually, scratches appeared on the boy's arms, legs, and chest, sometimes forming letters, but not recognizable words until the events of the exorcism, which occurred in March and April of 1949. Wow. So increasingly concerned, Robbie's parents took him to see a team of professionals, which you would do, right? This included medical doctors, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist. The family also turned to their local Lutheran minister, Reverend Luther Miles Schultz, who agreed to observe their son. Schultz also saw the boy's bed shake, dishes fly through the air, and furniture move of its own accord. Even after inviting Robbie to stay at his own home, the bizarre events continued and even
1: escalated. Okay, this is my favorite part of the whole story. The fact that the demon or manifestation was mobile. Big time. Good. Yeah, so,
0: you know, and I guess for cynics, it certainly wasn't anything that the family created in their home. Yeah. You know, with strings or whatever, magnets. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? This is happening regardless of where he's at. So at a loss, the minister suggested that Robbie's parents turn, get this, to the Catholic Church for help. Mm -hmm. A Lutheran minister saying, I can't help you. This is serious. You need to go to the old church because they have people that specialize in what I think is happening here. Well, yeah, and they have long-established rites of exorcism. They do. The family approached the local Catholic parish, St. James. The church's assistant pastor, Reverend E. Albert Hughes, prayed with the family and offered holy water and blessed candles for use in their home if the events began again. While Robbie's mother attempted to use the blessed items as instructed, the holy water flew across the room one evening, smashing. Then the candles either blew out on their own, or the flame shot up dangerously. Amazing. One source indicates that Hughes visited the home and was so shaken by the visit that he reached out to Patrick O'Boyle, the Archbishop of Washington, D.C. It is said that Hughes stopped the right when Ronald broke off a piece of spring from the mattress that he'd been strapped down to and lashed the priest across his shoulders. When medical tests failed to turn up any ailments, the boy was sent home without remedy or explanation provided to the family. A few days later, red scratches appeared on the boy. One of the scratches formed the word Louis, which indicated to Ronald's mother that the family needed to go to St. Louis, where the Hunkellers had relatives and where Aunt Tilly was from, in order to find a way to save their son. Robbie's mother, convinced that the answer to their problems might lie in St. Louis, took Roland with her where she stayed with relatives in bel Noor, a northern suburb. Unfortunately, the bizarre happenings followed them to Missouri. And
1: intensified oh my god this is a very grim story I'm completely enraptured that's why I'm not like you know butting in with my usual bullshit is it's I'm, I'm like my eyes are big and I'm like oh this story actually
0: freaked me out in researching yeah it's this is intense that has not happened very often uh, since we started this podcast this is scary material
1: well I haven't seen you this terrified since Robert the doll I love Robert the doll. I know, Robert the doll. I think because it's spooky, but also kind of cute. Well, and someone online, by the way, is now making um, replicas of Robert the doll. Who is? Oh, the the, uh, the toy maker. There's an online... No, there's an online store where some lady is making replicas of the Robert the doll doll so you can have it in your house. Oh, God. Because that's fun. No, thank you. After Robbie and his mother arrived in St.
0: Louis on March 9th, 1949... Raymond Bishop, a Jesuit teaching at St. Louis University, or SLU, as uh, Department of Education, visited with the family. SLU, if you don't know, is a private Jesuit research university with campuses in St. Louis and Madrid, Spain. Who would know that? What's that? Who would know that? You know why I'm adding this? I'm adding this for a reason. No, it's because you said, in case you didn't know. Oh, no, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that know about SLU like people from st louis probably no i think a lot of catholic people might and certainly in the states okay it's a big school Do you hold on to your beliefs Georgetown's a big school. It's another Jesuit, uh, or as a Jesuit, and Je- it's Catholic. Anyway. It's
1: okay. Drink your juice. So it,
0: it was founded in 1818 by Louis William Valentin de Burg, And it's the oldest university west of the Mississippi River river and the second oldest Jesuit university in the United States. And that's important. It's an old established school. They've been at it for a while. A very long time. And I bring that up because this is not like a, a DeVry Uh, School of Commerce (laughs) or whatever, you know. There there was the uh, Arizona, there's a University of Arizona. Online, it's all all online, online. yeah. Yeah. We have one Athabasca here in Canada that's like that. DeVry Academy. (laughs) (laughs) One of Robbie's cousins, a university student at the school, had informed Bishop about the strange events. The young priest, acting on the advice of fellow faculty member Lawrence Kenny and SLU president Paul Reinert met with the boy after blessing the home. Robbie's bed was shaking when they met, but the shaking stopped when the priest sprinkled holy water to make the sign of the cross. Returning to SLU, Bishop sought out William Bodern, pastor of St. Francis Xavier College Church, which was SLU's spiritual home. The 52-year-old Bodern, a World War II veteran with extensive teaching and pastoral experience, visited Robbie two days later. During the visit, Robbie suffered long scratches in the shape of a cross and objects including holy water flew across the room. The strange events continued and escalated with Robbie often acting violently, speaking in tongues in a voice described as not as his own or that of any mortal man, and inanimate objects becoming animate and dangerous. Wow. In these nocturnal episodes, and I I need to note that all of these things seem to only happen at night for the most part. Uh he would supposedly become incredibly strong, his body distorting and transforming, heels touching the back of his head, the body forming like a, a, a loop, you know. Oh my god. All reported by priests who were witnesses. I think of the scene from the exorcist where Linda Blair walks down the stairs like a like a, a, a crab, crab walk, like yeah. A crab yeah. That's, I think, where the inspiration for that scene came from, is these weird contortions. Now, his head didn't spin around or anything like that, uh, like it, it it does in the movie, but it was really odd what was happening. Indeed. Curiously, get this, during these convulsions, the doctors attending him could find no change in his pulse rate or blood pressure. Oh, wow. So, compl-
1: his blood pressure never went up? No. During all of that? No. Okay, that's bizarre. That, I, yeah, wow. Those that visited Robbie had a
0: deep foreboding, and some expressed a fear for their own physical and spiritual safety. Oh my God. Bodern and Bishop sought permission from St. Louis Archbishop Joseph Ritter to perform the formal rite of exorcism, and Ritter agreed. Now, a note on exorcisms. We've talked again about this in past episodes. Mm -hmm. I did a little bit of research on what sort of the rules, you know, because the Catholic Church isn't searching to do these. This is not something that they do very easily.
1: No, they don't seek out business.
0: Yeah. They do not seek out business and they often defer to medical authorities. Yeah. And will, and and this is dating back even, you know, 70 years ago, They they were like this. This was something that they... Didn't really do very much anymore. From
1: what I'm led to believe, the ex- rite of exorcism is always the last resort. It's a last resort. The last resort. So, under the church's rite of exorcism,
0: a priest who performs an exorcism does so only after the approval of a local bishop or archbishop. In this case, Bodern was, got that approval by Cardinal Ritter. The archbishop is required to select someone a proven virtue according to the Roman ritual. Mm -hmm. The exact wording is that the priest must be properly distinguished for his piety, prudence, and integrity of life. Especially, he should not believe too readily, and I think this is important, that a person is possessed by an evil spirit. And all medical means of treatment must be exhausted before any exorcism is approved. Fascinating. So they're picking priests that are going to be skeptical of what they're seeing like us on this uh, podcast where, you know, we re- we remain open but skeptical. I like to think that together we bring a lot of piety and prudence. Well, piety, I mean, you think of piety, you think of me. And I'm very prudent. Entirely. Now, when Bonnie was with us, that brought us integrity. She's gone, so we have none of that. Exactly. Well, and uh, integrity is overrated. So according to the diary kept by Raymond Bishop, after Ritter authorized the exorcism, he and Bodren visited Robbie in Belnor nightly throughout the rest of March and into April 1949. Not necessarily at Belnor, he eventually leaves there, but I'll get to that in a few minutes. Other Jesuits and scholastics, including Walter Halloran, William Van Rue, John O'Flaherty, and Joseph Bolin, also assisted during the month's rites. As the priests prayed, Robbie's reactions became extreme. Writing in his diary on March 18, 1949, Bishop noted, and this is a quote: The prayers of the exorcism were continued and Robbie was seized violently. So he began to struggle with his pillow and the bedclothing. The arms, legs and head of Robbie had to be held by 3 men. The contortions revealed physical strength beyond natural power. Robbie spit at the faces of those who held him and at those who prayed over him. He spit at the relics and at the priest's hands. He writhed under the sprinkling of holy water. He fought and screamed in a diabolical, high-pitched voice. During one evening session, Bishop reported that a picture of the devil appeared on the
1: boy's leg. Oh my God, that's... um... what an image... That just shut me right down. I make, I get chills. Yeah, that's the picture of the devil. What did he look like, I wonder?
0: Yeah, fuck, yeah. On another, the word hell manifested on his chest. John Walsh, who's a Jesuit and a close friend of Bodern's, also reported the exorcists saw the Roman numeral 10, the X, appear on Robbie's back one night, which he and Bodurn took to mean that 10 demons were infesting the boy. One night, a voice coming from the boy supposedly told an attending Jesuit who was assisting Bodern that he would die in 10 years and would burn in hell. The Jesuit had a fondness for strong drink, and the voice so unnerved him that he stopped drinking. Uh, and this is a quote for a time. So then got back to it. It reminds me a little bit of... Um, the Dunda Garvin whooper, the guy who put off swearing because he was so freaked out, right? Oh, I love it. He stopped drinking for a time. For a time. <laughs> in the official diary, there is a strange account recorded by Bodern, and in it and in it recounts how, while sitting on the bed beside the boy, he watched a tiny, nearly invisible pitchfork or lines, move from under the boy's upper thigh all the way to the ankle, which produced droplets of blood. Whoa. So it's like the claws in the bed, but now inside the boy's body. It's like an entity is trying to claw its way
1: out. Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: In another occurrence, the boy supposedly spat a foul substance at the priest who attended him all the way across the room and with incredible accuracy. According to this account, the pea soup vomit shown in, in the movie where she projectile mm-hmm. vomits. Was probably not,
1: may might not have been too far fetched. Well, you're blowing my mind with how much from the Exorcist movie is you are actually sharing right now. It's he really took a lot from this um, from this incident. So William Blatty, I love when things segue
0: naturally. William Blatty, author of the book that led to the movie, says that these brandings on the and this is a quote: these brandings on the boy's skin. It happened as many as 30 times each day. Were unquestionably paranormal. Some of the markings were on the back and some were pictures often lasting from three to four hours. And according to him, all over uh, the diary were accounts of these brandings. And Blatty did have access to the diaries that these priests were writing.
1: Well, now it's 1940s. Did anyone photograph any of this? No. Oh, man. No. What a bonehead move. But that's not their business. I know, but the mother, the father, somebody there, like, take a picture.
0: How easy was it to take a picture? And would you want to take a picture and and, and record what was... And, and, and actually, I should say this, Riley. Maybe they did, but they wanted to stay anonymous. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, pictures would help. They'd help you. And and that's, and that's what's interesting about this, too. Again, this is a case. This is not like Amityville. This family was not doing this to put on a show. This was not a spectacle that was trying to gain them notoriety or fortune, you know? So one night, the boy punched one of the attending fathers, Walter Halloran, in the face, breaking his nose, and resisted the right through cursing, speaking in tongues, and by other physical means. Halloran recalled his involvement in this strange case in a newspaper article in 1988, he describes how he used to drive the boy from the St. Louis home of his aunt and uncle to the college church rectory and the old 19th century wings of the Alexanian Brothers Hospital on South Broadway where most of the exorcisms were conducted. This is a quote. I was a real good friend of Billy Bowdern's. I got in on the business with the prayers of exorcism and the little boy would go into a seizure and get quite violent so Father Bowden asked me to hold him and yes He did break my nose. Halloran said he observed the streaks and arrows and words like hell that would rise on the child's skin. That happened a number of times, and it wasn't a case of taking a pin and scratching himself. It just appeared, and with quite a bit of pain. On Holy Thursday that year, this phenomenon started occurring as I was reading the prayers. "'Don't talk about it anymore. This hurts too much,' the kid said." the markings were most visible and there were many obscenities he was a nice little kid and i will say this too about halloran he he wasn't the the lead but he's the one who seemed to grown closest with the boy he spent a lot of time with him and got to know him he sounds very compassionate he really cared about this kid yeah yeah you can tell just by the few words you've shared on the evening of March 20th, the exorcism reached an unhealthy new level. Roland urinated all over his bed and began shouting and cursing at the priests. Now, Roland's parents had had enough. They took him from the home on Bel to the Alexian Brothers Hospital for more serious treatment. However, changing locations did not alleviate the boy's torment. In one instance, while making the stations of the cross outdoors at the retreat centre Robbie attempted to jump off a high cliff overlooking the Mississippi River. Halloran managed to tackle him before the boy could jump. Oh my God, that could have ended really badly. Yeah, it was intensifying as time is going on. So this is an incident where it occurred during the, the day. And
1: the, the entity that was in, in control was clearly trying to kill him. That's right. Wow, that, that, that escalated quickly. On
0: Easter Monday, April 18, 1949, Robbie awoke in a fit of rage at Alexanian Brothers Hospital. Bodern continued the rite of exorcism, placing holy items in the boy's hands and around his neck. According to Bishop's diary, the exorcist then demanded to know the name of the demon possessing Robbie. The Jesuit demanded the demon leave the boy in peace. Apparently, the name that the demon gave was mm-hmm. Satan. The big cheese himself. According to some of the accounts, that is who the Catholic Church believes they were dealing with. Not a lieutenant, the devil. The de- the devil. And he wow. may have had a legion with him. Wow. So the fit continued. According to Bishop, the demon mocked Bodern, saying, Yes, to say one more word. One little word. I mean, one big word. He'll never say it. I am always in him. I may not have much power always, but
1: I am in him. He will never say that word. Jesus fucking Christ. Mm -hmm. This is a dark one. This might be replacing the werewolf of Bedburg or whatever the name of the place is, as the most unsettling thing you've told me. This is,
0: I agree. For me, it is. I'm freaked out. I'm honestly, like, I had nightmares about this
1: for the last couple nights. We should have recorded this during the morning. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> it's like, Christ, I, I need a cat. I know. And I hate cats.
0: Bowdern and the priests assisting him continued, however. At 10.45 p.m. that evening, the attending priests called on St. Michael to expel Satan from Ronald's body. They shouted at Satan, saying that St. Michael would battle him for Ronald's soul. Shortly before midnight, the priest heard a different male voice coming from Robbie. Bishop's diary noted the following. Satan! Satan! I am St. Michael, and I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus immediately!
1: Now! Now! No.
0: Moments later, Robbie woke up. The boy told the priests, he's gone, telling them that he had had a dream that St. Michael, the archangel, had battled the devil and demons to free him. Other reports from around the hospital, not just people that were in the room, uh, say that people claimed that they heard a loud noise like a gunshot sounding at the same
1: time that this apparently happened. Oh I was hoping you'd tell me something else like the like the floor a big crack opened in the floor and statue's eyes bled a big crack opened in the floor and they realized that the floor was actually
0: a statue's eyes and they st- started to bleed No continue your story The Archdiocese of St. Louis received a formal report on the exorcism closing the matter formally Wow Neither the Archdiocese nor the Jesuits spoke publicly about the events to protect Robbie's identity and because the matter was finished from an ecclesiastical standpoint. However, in August 1949, Schultz, the family's Lutheran minister, spoke about the events in public, and several news outlets, including the Washington Post, wrote stories. Mm Mm-hmm. A small item appeared in the Catholic Review, an article that became the basis of Bladdy's novel. That's what sort of got him started and, and scented on the story. Brilliant. Blatty claims that he also has read, as I mentioned earlier, the actual diary kept by Bowdern. At the end of each day, Bowdern met with the witnesses and participants in the room. At times, there were as many as six or seven Jesuits, not to mention members of the boy's family and members of the Alexian Brothers' order. Together, at the end of each day, they would go over what he had written and verify that this was exactly what happened. That's according to Blatty. Okay. So again, from Blatty, I can assure you of one thing. The case I was involved with was the real thing Bowdern once wrote to Blatty. I had no doubts about it then, and I have no doubts about it now. But he would tell nothing beyond that. Okay. Okay. By some accounts, the exorcism that took place was considered by church officials to be the most significant reported
1: and documented case in 300 years. Oh my God. Okay, so it, they're, they're regarding this as a very serious event.
0: They are. Ah. Those involved were apparently very upset that the story was leaked. It should have been kept a secret, said the Reverend William Van Roo. The whole chronicle was leaked to the Washington Post young man has had to suffer so much it caused severe pain and resentment because the confidentiality was violated and i think that's again important these are not people looking for a story the people involved
1: you know well correct me if i'm wrong but traditionally the catholic church when they do this kind of thing they don't want anyone to know it's kept they don't want under anyone wraps, to know right because it's something that i don't know i i i don't know they just don't want to confirm with the public that demons really exist? Like, I'm, I'm not sure of their motivation, but they really don't want this information out there,
0: right? I've thought about this a lot, and I wonder if part of it is the church has very much moved away from the fantastical. Yes. They will now say maybe the things ha- that happened in the Bible, like especially the Old Testament, didn't actually happen. The world wasn't actually created in, in six days, you know? Uh, Adam and Eve weren't actually the first human beings. Evolution is possible. They've they've gotten to that point. Well, good. You know, good. It's about time. And we are a much more educated. We think critically in a way that perhaps they didn't. A hundred years, 150, 200 and beyond. Since the Enlightenment, that that has you know people have gotten smarter and wiser, and the church has had to pivot and change their stance. I wonder that if they were advertising that these things happened that if it would actually shoo people away from the church thinking this is ridiculous that's a really good
1: point because you make it makes you wonder like i'm sure people you know very old school religious people very sort of traditional religious people would probably love it but it would also alienate Mm -hmm. a lot of the younger or a lot of the more educated potential audience i think so yeah i think so too now Jesuits being
0: Jesuits, there are many skeptics among members of the Society of Jesus about just what it was that tormented the boy. There are those who doubt that it was a case of demonic possession. A prominent Jesuit psychologist at Georgetown, Juan Cortez, suggested that calling the devil produces a manifestation of the victim's ideas of him. The boy began acting as a possessed person is supposed to act. Van Rue, who was there, Is guarded about whether he believes this was a case of demonic possession. He is quoted as saying, "I'd rather not commit myself on that." Walter Halloran expressed similar sentiments when interviewed by a Georgetown University journalist who wrote an article for the school paper, The Voice. "I wouldn't be able to say whether it was valid or not. I've withheld judgment. I'm not saying Father Borden's wrong. I was just more comfortable not coming to a decision." A lot of incidents are individually explainable by reasons of psychosomatic illness, but I
1: don't know if the reasons can explain everything when taken together. And can I interject here? If it's psychosomatic illness, if he's just fucking with us, whatever, that's a long commitment for someone Mm -hmm. so young. Like He really committed to the role, Mm -hmm. and that's, to me,
0: very improbable. If we take for truth the things that were described as happening, uh, inanimate objects flying around, the welts, the the cuts on the body, that to me those are the ones. Well, how I I I don't understand
1: how that's possible unless there's a hoax at play. Right, but even if it is a hoax, that's a long hoax to play out. You would have to be
0: a ma... I mean, I don't think it's even possible today with, you know, the technology that we have at hand to have a moving display.
1: How old was he again?
0: F- a 14. So this is...
1: No, there's no way
0: it's a ruse. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. So what happened to the people involved?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: After the exorcism, Robbie and his family returned home and the boy sent Bodren a letter to update him on his condition. He was fine. He felt like he was at peace. He grew up to marry, he started a family, and to have a successful uh, career. Reports suggest that he has never spoken about the events of the exorcist or been troubled by anything similar to it in more than 70 years. And apparently, he named his oldest son Michael in honor of the angel that he believes saved his life. Oh, that's actually beautiful. Bodern continued his ministry as a Jesuit until his death in 1983. He never publicly acknowledged that he was the exorcist, nor did he openly talk about it, not even with his own family. And that's according to a nephew that was interviewed. But we do know for a fact that he was, and he was in charge of it. Uh, The other uh, SLU Jesuits, Raymond Bishop, uh, would go on to leave SLU to teach at Creighton University, where he served on the faculty for more than 20 years. And again, it was his diary that is said to be the basis for many of the later books and films about the events. Okay. John Walsh became an important link to this strange event because he's one of the few people still alive who read Bordern's secret report and he did not take an oath that would keep him from divulging any of the documents contents that I don't like right Walter Halloran went on to earn two bronze stars in the Vietnam War as a chaplain wow I think you know the, the what's the young priest and the exorcist a father. It's Greek. His name uh, because of the K. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think that that's Halloran.
1: Okay, okay, right. Yeah, it's a Greek um, name. I can't yeah. remember.
0: What's the uh, the old hottie guy that plays uh, the the main priest? Uh, Ma- uh, Max von Sydow. Yeah. I think it's Maxwell. I think he would probably, he's probably a boater, right. right. Okay. Yeah. So Walter Halloran, he went to the war. He would also work in SLU's Department of Campus Ministry in the Office of alum, Alumni. He did a bunch of different jobs in the school. And again, he was very, he didn't want to talk about this story. And and often, in because he was interviewed or people tried to interview mm-hmm. him, he would often say, I just want to respect the family's privacy. Good for him. I don't think this is... Right? Yeah. So, and all the other Jesuits involved in the case, they continued their ministries. And get this. This is the last little bit here. The room in the Alexian Brothers Hospital, after this event, was boarded up and sealed following the exorcism. Oh, wow. No one ever entered that room again. To this day. The entire facility was torn down in 1978. And the house... Where the family lived in Maryland is now an empty lot after it was abandoned in the 1960s. Whoa, the Bell house still exists, and there's pictures. I'll post them on Instagram and and Facebook. It's a beautiful home, but it's creepy, and 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 not. Uh, it hasn't done well. It doesn't sell well.
1: Eww. But
0: that, that is the true story of The Exorcist.
1: Wow. The exorcism of Roland Doe. So that was the inspirational event. That was it. I want to tell you something. So in my life, there's been two instances where movies have completely culturally dominated the zeitgeist for the summer for a, a, a significant period of time. Mm-hmm. The first of those, of those movies, and I'm actually working on a, a sort of a book about that summer because it was, oh. well, I was 13 and it was the most important summer of my life for various reasons it was 1975. And that's, of course, Jaws. Mm-hmm. The summer of Jaws was like no other summer I will I ever will have experienced in my life because the movie was so important. I don't know if you know that Jaws was the first film to open on multiple screens on the same day i i I don't know that i knew that i'm interested anyone know about jaws ask me but anyway um the other movie that i remember being at that level was the exorcist it was so talked about at school and i remember my cousins snuck in to see it one of them did because she looked older Mm -hmm. and i remember us sitting around a campground listening to her recount what she had seen in the movie theater and she mentioned that at one point she saw a woman jump out of her seat screaming and run out of the movie theater. And I had, you know, I was what, maybe 12 or something. I had giant eyes and I was like, oh my God, I have to see this movie. And that movie was so big and so important. You'd see on the bus, everybody reading the book. It was a moment. It was a moment that I will always remember. And those are the two movies, Jaws and The Exorcist from the seventies made such a huge impression what was your experience watching the
0: film uh, the first time well
1: the exorcist i i saw it when i was much much older yeah i hope so our sort of movie sensibilities had evolved and i was probably 18 or 19 and i loved it i loved it i mean the things that they managed to do in that movie if you ever have a chance to see some of the background stuff of how they actually made stuff happen Mm -hmm. it's great because i love the era of practical effects Mm -hmm. Like, I find that I'm just over right now computer effects because everything's so easy. And I loved back in that era when they would do practical effects and everything in The Exorcist is a practical effect. And they're rotating rooms and working with mirrors. But that movie terrified the entire world. Like, it really did.
0: I will say this. I I was probably about the same age when I first saw it. I was 18, 19, 20 Mm -hmm. Around that age, and I don't scare easily. I'm not actually a huge horror movie fan. Mm-hmm. I like good horror, but there's no, I don't find there's a lot of that. Like I'm not a fan of Friday the Thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street. Really, Chainsaw Massacre. Well, no, I like that. That's I like the earlier ones, Uh like the very first. Friday the Thirteenth, that movie I like. Okay, well that's what, that's the. But I don't love it. But that's the eighties, that fabulous wave of slasher films, right? Yeah, and that doesn't really. I guess where I'm going with it is I, that doesn't scare me. Do you know what started that whole ball rolling? Is Halloween? Yeah, that's another one I would include in that too. It doesn't scare me. I find them like the early ones, especially, are fun. But they're not scary.
1: They don't. Un- they don't shake me to my core. Yeah, but if you had seen Halloween when it was first released, before we became desensitized to that kind of violence, it'd be a, a very different experience for you. I can tell you well, that. Well, I guess that this is where I'm going with this line of
0: thinking here is that The Exorcist did something different. Yeah, it's to the point where I've only watched that movie twice in my life. Mm-hmm. I thought about watching it again for this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. Right. It it's too scary. It it's intense. Speaks to something at a very primal level inside of us. Now, again, whether or not that means there's devils or demons, I, I don't, I'm not suggesting that. I don't know that. But it's very interesting that
1: this episode freaked me. Preparing for it, even reading it. Do you know what I love about The Exorcist? I got to say this because just I'm just thinking about watching the movie. Is I think the brilliant thing about the way that story's been handled in the book and in the movie is that the lead character that's not Reagan is her mother, right? Mm -hmm. Father Karis. That's what it is, by the way. It just came to me, Father Karis. And the mother is a skeptic. She's a modern woman. She's an actress. She's very sophisticated. She has very sophisticated friends. So it sets it up that she's almost like us, She's like the audience. She's like, okay, you know, I don't believe in this stuff. I'm not religious. I don't buy into any of this. She's very much representative of most people, you know, and yeah. I like that. I like that she wasn't like a super religious, you know, old worldy kind of person. She was a, a sophisticated urban woman. I do believe too, Riley,
0: I think I'm coming to a place and it's through science that I'm having these little epiphanies, not through faith, but through science, that there is more to our reality than we know or can see or sense. I hope Damn. there is. I really do believe that, you know, as more like I'm, I'm, I'm toying with a show idea that will incorporate a bunch of weird things in the world of science, like in physics and stuff like that. I, I, I feel like I don't have the confidence to do it because it, it intimidates me. I'm not, I don't have that scientific background, yeah. but there is some weird, weird scientific stuff out there. That starts to blur into the world of the fantastic and the supernatural.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, I'm not going to, well, yeah, it's possible. It's possible this is real.
1: If anything would be, it would be something like this, right? Really, if anything would be possible, it'd be something like this. The two things that would I would say that we've discussed that were highly likely would be something like this and also like UFOs, yep. especially right now. Man, is that ever heating up? Yep. So, I don't want to get too much into that because I think I've got a um an episode coming down the pipeline, probably the next time, not the next episode, but the episode after that, I'll be doing one of the most famous UFO abductions ever. Oh, I know what it is. ALF. ALF. You and ALF. Why do you like ALF so much? Hey Willie, uh, you are know the cat is. ALF! You don't go anywhere near the cat, ALF! You actually did did a pretty good job of the father. Cause he had that weird theatery voice. Mm-hmm. He was great. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna. I, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but
0: I'm gonna like, say it. Yeah, it against my it.
1: wishes, but yes,
0: I'm not. And I'm not being facetious here. I really enjoy that show still to this day, and it's all comic timing between Alf and Willie. Okay, he's good, and I can't remember his name, the actor who played uh, uh, Willie Tanner. But he, he's he was an
1: accomplished actor mm-hmm. and he was very good in that in that I've movie. seen him in other stuff. He did that, I think was his biggest thing he ever did. Well, uh that was unsettling as fuck. <laughs> it really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew about this story and I'd heard about it peripherally, but I had no information on the details okay and,
0: well and and to
1: wrap it up then what do you think it's true i just told you that instinctually yet you do i said if anything is going to be possible it's going to be this but do you think it's true oh. what your gut tell you i can't i can't i can't i don't know i can't say with any certainty like some of the stuff that we discuss i'm like mm. but i can't say down with any certainty that this is true
0: or not I think that's fair, and I'll, I'll say this. I think if I, if I had seen what was written down, mm-hmm. and so I knew that it was true, I think I would have been with Boder, and I think I would have been like, yeah, this is a demonic possession. If these yeah. supernatural things were occurring, not the, not the voices, not even the super strength. Science can explain all of that. Right.
1: The contortions that that can all be explained. If I do, though, say that I believe this or if I do genuinely believe this, then I'm accepting a vision of the world that I'm not prepared to accept. Well, not necessarily, because I don't necessarily I I would
0: contend that the Catholic Church doesn't necessarily have the correct vision of the world. No, but
1: I'm accepting a vision of a supernatural that is sort of codified in a way that I don't particularly agree with so i don't i don't know i don't want to commit yeah i don't want yeah yeah fair enough look at me not wanting to commit again but i just (laughs) don't want to put my chips down on this one dan i just can't do you understand i think you're uh pathetic and weak well that's everyone who's ever dated me Mm -hmm. that's why bonnie left the show we briefly dated and now she hates me yeah all she wanted to do was go to dinner at really expensive restaurants Uh, the Olive Garden? No, like a hundred bucks a plate kind of restaurant. She's got champagne taste. So not McDonald's. (laughs) Do you know what? This is interesting. This is the last thing I'm going to share with you. I don't like McDonald's anymore. It must be a consequence of getting older, but I just can't take it anymore. And when I was young, I remember I'd fantasize about being older and having my own money. And I would go to McDonald's and buy just four orders of French fries. Well, restaurants have gotten better. But McDonald's French fries used to be... to me, the best food ever. Mm. And I, I thought up until my 30s that McDonald's french fries were pretty great. Like, I could I could just throw those things back. And now I'm just grossed out by it, more or less. Mm-hmm. I don't like anything yeah. there. It's filler. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I just don't want that. You know what I like eating more than anything else now? Salad. What the fuck? Oh my god, you've given up. Next thing you know, I'll be fucking taking yoga and, you know, going to a life coach. I'm wearing sweatpants in public. Never. Well. Never. No.
0: All right. We should wrap this thing up. We should, but that was a good episode.
1: Now I feel like I have to take a shower and put on lotion. You should. And just don't put the... Well, take your sweatpants off. before. I'm not wearing sweatpants. I'm wearing yellow shorts.
0: Are you really wearing (laughs) yellow shorts? All right, folks, if you've enjoyed listening to this episode or past episodes, please feel free to share the word of the weird with uh, the whole wide world. Get on your typewriter, write a letter in that typewriter, address it to your old principal from school telling him, hey, I need my transcripts and I need you to get on the PA system at the school telling all the teachers and kids to listen to the weird spelled with a Y just cause yeah just cause so hey folks if you uh, again though if you if you do like listening to us share it with your friends if you're listening through iTunes you can rate us on iTunes yes. subscribe if uh, you can on whatever platform you're on Spotify iTunes Google there's so many of
1: them now I Sound Blaster Max I don't know there's other things Sound there's... Blaster
0: well, I don't know. It sounds like it sound a sound blaster was
1: the first video card we all had. Sound blaster, oh, Creative yes, that's Sound right. Blaster, and the drivers never worked.
0: We we don't ask for any money for this show, but we do ask uh, that you uh, reach out to us and share
1: the word of the weird. Mm-hmm. So that's my two cents on that to wrap things up, Riley. Well, that was a great episode, Dan, and we love it that you join us every week for this insane journey that we've embarked upon. And uh, I got nothing else, so thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank <tries> you.